Well, we are uh, glad that you're hanging out with us this morning. If you are uh, hanging out for the, uh, for the very first time, we're glad that you are with us. My name is Brandon Baxter. They give me the privilege of uh, being one of the leaders around here. And so we're glad to have you. Um, and as we kind of kick off, we want to welcome those that are joining us online, as well as our Edgewood campus is uh, joining us live. Uh, and so we're glad to have them with us as well. Uh, and real quickly, before we dive in uh, to our series called Faithful, uh, I want to remind those of uh, us that call ourselves members at Stone Point uh, that this is a 4C assessment year. And so uh, we uh, have just uh, completed the 4C assessment. It actually ended a couple of days ago, uh, but we are going to extend it for those of us in this room that you're like, hey, I, I just forgot. Or I just didn't get it done. Uh, the reason we do the 4C assessment is because every two years we uh, recommit ourselves to membership that helps us make sure that we don't have uh, church roles where people aren't attending and, and they just kind of sit there. That's not our desire. Our goal is to be faithful even in our membership. And so if you're a member here, that means that you've been accounted for. And there are a handful of sheep that we still haven't accounted for. So you're still uh, out there and we want to give you a chance. And so I would say we're pleased to say uh, the majority of our sheep have been accounted for, but there's still a handful out there. And so it will close tonight at midnight. Uh, so if you have the link, maybe it's sitting in your email or maybe you've been texted uh, or uh, maybe you're like, hey, I never got the link. I never got an email. Uh, then, hey, we would love to get you that so that you could take care of your 4C. Uh, we would love for you to continue in membership. It is a commitment that we've made together to continue to spur each other on. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, towards love and good deeds. And so just want to encourage you in that, um, and we'll uh, visit afterwards. You can catch me or one of our leaders or one of our serve team members. We'd love to get you that link, and we'd love for you to continue in our journey together. Let me pray for us, and then we are going to hop into week four of a series called Faithful. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you and we entrust this time to you. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you with our lives. Lord, we know that doesn't just involve a handful of songs. It doesn't involve just uh, some teaching. It involves all of us. And Lord, I pray uh, that even as we discussed last week, that you would help us make the shift um, as Americans in our culture from this one hour a week type thing that we do to really contributing to the kingdom of God in every aspect of our lives, not just uh, in the area of our family, uh, but also in the area of our finances and the area of our workplace. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be stewards of the mystery of God. Lord, that you have called us out of darkness into the wonderful light of Jesus. You have made us your ambassadors. We are your heirs. We are sons and daughters. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful with the things that you've entrusted to our lives. We love you and we ask for your help. May your spirit lead us to understanding. Would you help us to take steps towards obedience in you? And more than anything, God, I pray that you would help us to trust you. Lord, you are not trying to rip us off. Lord, you want um, good things for those who call you Father. And so, Lord, I pray that as your sons and as your daughters, Lord, I pray that we would trust the heart of our Heavenly Father. And I pray that if we can't see your hands working, God, we would see your heart. And so, Lord, we just ask, Father, for you to teach us, mold us, shape us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we're going to be talking uh, about something here in a few moments. It's going to be difficult for us, uh, but one of the reasons I want to talk to you is because I don't want you to uh, end up like a guy named Samuel Insel. Uh, Samuel Insel was a guy that uh, before 
uh, the Great Depression, that big crash of the stock market in the late 1920s. Uh, he was a guy who uh, actually was an immigrant from England, uh, found an opportunity uh, through the newspapers to potentially work for Thomas Edison, and he would do such. Uh, he would become uh, Thomas Edison's apprentice. Uh, he would be uh, working in his office, learning about things with him. And eventually, Tom, uh, or Samuel Insel would uh, become uh, the leader of General Electric Company. Um, he would get frustrated in 1892. He would leave um, uh, even that company. And later on, uh, he would set out on an adventure towards Chicago area and Illinois and Indiana. He would begin to buy lots of different companies. Uh, and uh, he would have uh, companies and, and power companies and uh, stock and, and, and the electric railroads that were going on and, and some of the early development of things. And he began uh, just to be uh, an industry giant. Uh, people would say that he uh, was a part of uh, stock holdings and, and companies that would in that day be estimated about $3 billion dollars. He himself in the 1920s was worth anywhere from 75 uh, to 300 million himself. The problem is, is in 1929, the stock market collapsed. And guess what? So did Samuel Insel. Um, he, he lost almost everything that he had uh, because of some of the things that were going on. Uh, he actually uh, f- fled to, to France and then later on to Paris. Eventually, the U.S. Uh, would track him down and they would ex- extradite him back to the U.S. in which he would uh, be uh, in court on embezzlement charges, fraud charges, different things. And, and he actually went to trial three different times in the U.S. court system and he was uh, let go every single time. Never once did he face a conviction. But the problem was is he died uh, late in age, uh, lost almost, almost everything he did, and, and legend would say that he died uh, at, on a, a Paris subway of a heart attack at the age of around 78, and he had 84 cents in his pocket and a laundry bill. Uh, back here in the States, all of his estates were worth um, what they thought would be hundreds of thousands of dollars, but really he had about $1,000 worth of estates and far more debt. The challenge with Samuel Insel is that he, uh, over time, what he, he fixed his eyes on some of the wrong things. And he had a hard time being a steward of the things that God had entrusted to him. And this message series, Faithful, we're just talking about being stewards. And what are we stewards of? We're stewards of all types of things. And today we're going to talk about the stewardship of money. And listen, um, I know that maybe you're here and you go, hey, oh, here we go again. We're going to talk about money. Listen, it's something that all of us have to talk about. But what I want you to realize is that God has a heart for you. And I want you, if you can't see his hand, I want you to see his heart. I want you to see what God desires for you. And I want to just be a faithful steward in declaring the message to you of what God has. In order for us to realize that money is a challenge, you have to realize that not only did Samuel Insel and many other uh, financial entrepreneurs in that day struggle to manage their wealth, but listen, Americans do as well. Um, Dave Ramsey would say that 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. I think that number is probably um, still hovering around that mark. But one of the things that's interesting is for the first time in almost 100 years, our savings rate is at a decent amount. And you can thank COVID for that because a lot of Americans have actually tucked some money back. But what's alarming is, is that when you think about Americans and you think about those who go to church, there's a large number of people who would call themselves Christians and even find a church home, but largely they don't connect themselves to a church home financially. Uh, A couple of statistics that I'll show you real quickly is 43% of American churchgoers actually give. That would mean that there's a large chunk, uh, 57% that do not give to the local church. So 
Roughly four in 10 give to the local church and roughly six in 10 don't. Um, what's interesting too is that if they do give, typically only four to 5% give generously. The average uh, giving of an American Christian is two and a half percent of their income. And so a lot of times what you would see is that, that we aren't all that generous. Now you might even ask yourself, well, um, if we only give two and a half percent of our income as Americans and only 43% of us give, and even the, among us that do give, we don't give all that graciously, uh, what's it look like for us in our church? Well, a handful of years ago, I shared with you that uh, we are above the national average. And a handful of years ago, while 45% a couple of years ago uh, didn't give, and now it's 43, dropped a couple of percentage points, we were at 50%. I'll tell you this, what's encouraging is that today uh, we're at 60% of the people that give. And so uh, now listen, I want to give you that statistic and we can praise God for that. But I also wanted to say this, that means that if you're on this list of 60% that give, that means that you gave a dollar or more this last year. Okay. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that we were all incredibly generous. It just means that we did give something. Now, what's really cool too, is that the numbers I'm going to give you all are around adults. That does not include some of our kids that graciously give around here. Uh, and so we do have some kids that would have made the list, but we just chose to stick to the adults. So 650 adults call Stone Point home. Uh, that's what we've uh, been able to track down. So I'm going to give you some numbers just over the last six months. And so over the last six months, we have about 650 adults that call this place home, does not include kids kids or, or babies or anybody else. And this is our kind of where we are. 60% of our adults um, have given at least a dollar and 40% of our adults have not given anything. And so I'm going to put it for you up on the screen where you can see the whole, whole chart, um, some graphs and bars and all those things. And so uh, what you see there is um, in essence, you've got a larger number that give than don't give. But here's the challenge. Look at this. 11% of the adults that give, 11% of the 650, which is 77 adults, they give 54% of our annual giving. That's roughly 35 families give the majority of our annual giving. The next tier would be another 16%, uh, which would be 104 of the 600 adults, they make up 26% of our annual giving. So in essence, instead of the 20-80 rule or the 80-20 rule, we're at 27-80 rule. So 27% of our adults give 80% of our annual giving. And then you have another percentage, 20 or, or 33%, which is 215 people that represent that last portion of, of the budget. So when you do the math, you've got um, really, uh, you've got 319 people that give the remaining uh, portion of our budget, but right now, 11% or 77% give, outgive the other 90% of our church. So when you start thinking about that, you, you know that we do have a handful of challenges. And, and here's what I want to do today. I want to just take a few moments and I want to just kind of give you a message and I want to show you one problem. I want to show you the two driving factors. I want to give you three solutions. So there's one challenge that rules American churches. There's two driving factors that I want to show you. And then three, I want to give you the solution to it. Y'all cool? And so here's the deal. The number one challenge is that we all have a compensation problem. We view our lives, we view our workplaces uh, in the means of compensation rather than a contribution. So I want to put it for you up on the screen where you can see it. You and I either work for compensation or we work for a means of a contribution. 
Now, when you think about that, you go, okay, well, of course we go to work for compensation. That's why we have a job. And listen, I will tell you, that's why we're trained. You think about even our kids. Hey, you do this chore and I'll give you some money. Hey, you do this and I'll give you some money. And oftentimes we think about work from the perspective of I go to work tomorrow, I go for a paycheck. And that paycheck is what funds many different aspects of our life. But the challenge is, and even Cody talked about last week, is that when we see our lives as compartmentalized, we see uh, an hour of the the week for church, and there's our church life, and then we have our, our family and our hobbies life, and then we have our, our work life. We're missing out on what God desires. And the reason why is because our lives are more about a contribution to the kingdom of God than it is about compensation for the kingdom of God. And so what, what I would say is this, that a lot of us, we think about work Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, or even for some of us in this room or joining us online is seven days a week. And we look at that and we go, I wonder if I'm gonna have enough. And you think about, and you're driven by compensation. And you might not wonder, uh, well, do I really believe it's compensation? Or you might even look at yourself and go, no, I really believe that I'm contributing my life to God. Like I really do love the Lord and I really do honor him and I wanna serve him. And and I would say that's, that's probably true for most of us. But the reality is, is what is it that's driving us? Is it compensation or is it a contribution to the kingdom of God? And you might even ask the question, well, how do I know? How, how do I know if it's compensation? Well, I would say this. Number one, if you're a little bit squirmy already in your seat, and you're like, I wish he wasn't talking about this subject, then you can know compensation is a challenge. Okay? Also, if you would be here today and you go, hey, um, compensation is a challenge if you're oftentimes thinking about when you're going to get your next raise. So maybe you're, you're coming to a place where your budget cycle is about to change at work. Maybe you're a mid-year or maybe you just had that. And maybe you're thinking, hey, I wonder if they're going to give me a promotion, if I'm going to get a raise. If you're constantly thinking about your income, if you're oftentimes wondering, I, I wonder when my employer is going to see what I do, and you're thinking about a lot of that, then you need to know that compensation is a big driving force in your life. If you think uh, as you're driving down the road and you see a, a nice place and you see a pipe fence and you see it painted and you see a gorgeous house on the hill and you go, wow, I would like that one day. Or even your heart kind of starts beating a little faster. And you're like, man, that's really cool. I, I like that. And then you begin to daydream about things like that. Then you can know that oftentimes you might be ruled by compensation. Now, listen, I would just admit to you that I, I can be ruled by compensation. I can oftentimes think, well, what if I had just an extra thousand dollars? Or, hey, what would it look like if we just had a, a little bit more in our 401k? And I can oftentimes find myself daydreaming about things like that. But the reality is that you need to realize is that God created us to work just as he was a worker in Genesis 1. He created everything we see and know. And at, through the work of his hands, he created everything. And we are meant to work. You are meant to have a job. But the reality is, is the reason you work has to shift. If you're working for compensation, then you're missing out on the greatest plan for God in your life, which is a contribution to the kingdom of God. And that one thought process in our head could change everything. And the reason why is because oftentimes there's two emotions that are driving our need for compensation. And here they are. One of the reasons we think we need compensation so much is because of fear. A lot of us fear a lot of things in our life. One of the things that COVID highlighted over the last year is the need for us to save more money. Uh, and because the government doled it out on a several different accounts, there's several of us that did several things with it. Now, some of us, we hoarded it. We, that means that we put it out, out in, in, into the bank account and we saved it for a rainy day. And we have kind of, in many cases, kind of white knuckled it. We've just set it aside. And, and, and we did that out of fear. We're, we're afraid that uh, something else could happen or um, 
if I don't step it back and I don't save it, then hey, what's, what's, what's going to change? And so if you're driven by fear, then you need to know that your primary reason to be driven that way is what we call security. If you oftentimes struggle to talk about money or finances, in some ways it just makes you cringe. You don't even like to talk about it with your spouse. You need to know oftentimes it's wrapped around the idea of fear. You're afraid if we have less money, then we have less security. And oftentimes that's how you view your monetary compensation. It's wrapped around this idea of fear. Um, you're afraid that you're going to lose your comfort. You're afraid that you're going to lose your home, your security, your bank account, your job, and all of those things. Even the reason you go to work, even though you continue to be miserable, is simply because of that compensation. Because if you didn't have it, you're afraid of what you would lose rather than what you would keep. Fear drives a whole lot. I think you see this in Matthew chapter 25, this incredible parable that Jesus tells, and many of you have heard. In Matthew chapter 25, he gives the parable of, uh, of three different people, and they're given talents. They're given a measure of money to invest. And here's what Jesus says. He says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. Now, what's incredible about this is you have an owner, and then you have a steward. Now, a steward is someone who doesn't actually own the money or the property, but they are to be faithful what they're stewarded, right? And so here it is. You've got three servants, and they're stewarded property from the manager. In verse 15, it says, To one, the manager gave a steward five talents. To another, um, he gave two. And to another, he gave one. To each according to his, what? Ability. So the reality is, is that each of them got something different. One five, one two, one one. Then he went away. That's what managers do. They go away. And so as they're gone, it's important they have a steward, one that would uh, take care of the property, that knows and understands the heart of their master, and that would, in many ways, steward what has been given to them, the way that would identify the master. Verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and he traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who received the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Think about that. Why did he do that? Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also said to the one who had two talents, and he had him come forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. All words that a steward would love to hear from the master. And then his master what brought, brought one more. He also, verse 24, who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, and then look what he says. I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was, say it with me, afraid. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, this is what is yours. Then his master said to him, you wicked and you slothful servant. 
Harsh words. But the question is, why did he say that? And here's why. Because the master entrusted a talent to his servant to be a good steward. And the steward missed the mark because of two reasons. One, he did not know the heart of his master. He goes, I knew you to be a hard man. And then he said, and I was afraid. And so in fear, feeling like I was going to disappoint you, I went and I buried it in the ground and I did nothing. I didn't steward it at all. And so look at his response. He says, for, uh, he says, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even when he is not, it'll be taken away. Cast the worthless servant into outer darkness in the place where there will be whip, weeping and gnashing of teeth. The reality is the picture is simply to show us that when a steward is given something from the master, it is important that the steward knows the master's heart and it's important that they're obedient to the master, that you would be faithful in all the master entrusts to your care. And that's the point of this principle in this parable. The parable is simply helping us to understand God's heart. And it's also helping us to make sure we're never driven by emotions. If it's the emotion of fear, even like Matthew chapter 19, you've got the story of a rich young ruler who is called to Jesus, who's interested in following. And Jesus just say, hey, if you want to follow me, take all of your riches, give to the poor and come and follow me. And you know what's interesting? The language says in Matthew chapter 19, that the rich young ruler walked away and was sad. An emotion. What was the emotion? I'm fearful that if I follow Jesus, that I'll lose everything that I have, everything that I've worked for, all the compensation I've earned, and that would just be too much. And there's so many people, because we miss the heart of God, and because we desire compensation to keep us safe and secure, we miss out on being faithful. Fear. The second reason is not fear, but it's desires. Desires. It's what Paul writes about even to his buddy Timothy. But desires are, are to think about more things. It's, it's the idea of acquiring more. And so oftentimes you think about more land, bigger house, a nicer car. You think about more in your portfolio. You think about all the things that you want to feed. You think about a deer lease and now a way to spend more time there. And you think about a, a ne another house. There's so many things that oftentimes drive our desires. And so if we're not... Um, gripped by fear and security, we're, we're gripped by our own desires, which if you wanted to put another word there, you could put greed. But it's the idea of acquiring more and more. That's why Paul writes these words to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. Pay attention to it. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen. Many of us struggle with that. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take and we cannot take anything out of the world. Paul is just reminding us of Genesis 3.19. We came from dust and the dust will return. He goes, we brought nothing in, we'll take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing with all of these, we will be content. But look at verse nine. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that punch people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, this desire that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 
Now, it's really important that you know here that Paul doesn't say that money is evil. He says for the love of money is evil. He, uh, money's an object, and so it, the object can't do anything. It, it can't make you evil, and the object itself cannot be evil. Um, and so the idea here is that it, it is just an object, but it's the craving of that object that brings about the destruction because it's a desire. And so what's interesting is, is that oftentimes we miss that. Now, when you think about an object and, and its inability to control us, what that means is the object itself doesn't drive it. For instance, this right here is, is a little bit of cash, right? So this right here is an, it's just an object. It means that it has no ability to do anything unless I make it do something. Okay, if it's, if it's not this, then it could be a brick. If I take a brick, I can build a house with it and that could be positive and constructive. Or if I'm really mad at somebody because they told me that my message was not any good today, I could take that brick and throw it through your window, right? Um, and so it's what I do with that brick that matters. But the brick itself can't actually control me. It's either my desires that control that object. But what's interesting is, is that as I'm reading through this and I think about the cravings or the desires that we oftentimes have for certain things, one of them is money, how controlled oftentimes we are by this. This merely though is an object. And when we start beginning to realize this, it helps us understand something important. That the object itself cannot help you in any way if you're, if you're missing the point. For instance, let's consider the words of Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Jesus says these words, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Something I've read hundreds of times in my lifetime. Uh, something that I know and have even memorized. This is a scripture, but here's what's interesting. In verse 21, where it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's important to realize that what he's saying is, is that your treasure will actually drive your emotions. So what it is that you treasure is what drives your emotions. If you treasure compensation or money, then you can be driven in what way? Fear or a desire for more. But the reality is, is that you pursue what you treasure. Now you may say, well, I, I, I don't treasure that thing. I, I've, I, don't, I don't think I treasure money. And I would say, hey, praise the Lord for you. But what you need to realize is that you do treasure something. And we are not wired like animals who they run off of instinct. We, we don't run off of instinct. We run off of values. That means that we have goals, hopes, dreams, aspirations. We have plans. And when we make choices based off of those values. So in essence, I would say it this way, we live for what we value. And if you value compensation, then you live for that and you can be controlled by any of those desires. But the problem is, is that your heart will follow that desire. What I mean by that is this, as if you don't, miss, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't pay real close attention, you'll miss what you value. And I'll, I get it. You would say, well, I value Jesus and I value my family and I, I value my kids and I value all the things that the Lord has. And, and, and Jesus would just say, show me, show me. That's why Jesus says these words in Matthew chapter six, verse 24, a few verses down. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other because you cannot serve God and money. And then it makes sense to me. Listen, lean in with me. Here's what Jesus is saying. 
He goes, if you are ruled by compensation or money, you can't serve God as well. And here's why, because you're fixated on an object and an object has absolutely no ability to soothe your pain. So if you're driven by fear, guess what? Money doesn't help your fear. Having more money doesn't settle that at all because the money itself is an object that has no ability to hear you or respond to your prayers. At the same time, if you're, if you're uh, driven by desires, guess what? The money has no ability to, to calm that wrestling in your soul because you can have a bigger house and more cars and you can be just like Samuel Insel. And at the very end, you never acquire enough and it's unsettling. Why? Because it's an object. It is no different than an Asherah pole in the Old Testament. It is no different than the prophets of Baal bowing down to a God who cannot hear them, see them, or respond to them. And Americans are being trained, even by their Christian mothers and fathers, to have a job, to get comfort, to get desires, and to have all of that wrapped around your compensation Monday through Friday. But the problem is, is that we miss out on the greatest goal, and that is to be a contribution to the kingdom of God. And we find ourselves paralyzed time and time again by fear or by our own compulsions of desire. So you got to ask yourself the question, what am I controlled by? Like, what really is it the Lord wants me to be? If you're a steward, have you kept too much for yourself? Have you spent too much on your own desires? Have you invested in things that please your heavenly father? If you were to stand before him and he had gulled out five talents to you or two talents to you or one talent to you and you were to stand before him, what would he say to you? And that's the question that you've got to wrestle with because the reality is, is that if our lives are a contribution, that means that our workplace is a calling and not compensation. It means that uh, our life is not about money, but it's about living on mission. It means it's not about our earnings, but it's about living for the purpose of evangelism. Y'all got it? It means that it's not about your pay, it's about your purpose. It's not about you focusing on your wages, it's about focusing your eyes on worship of God. And listen, we don't confine that just to an hour or two when we get together as believers. That's our life, it's a contribution. The problem is most of our churches have missed it. We think our lives are about compensation, about a Sunday attendance, about a few songs and a message. And we're ruled by the Monday through Friday, missing that our lives are about working for the glory of God and the good of others in every area. Now, here's the crazy thing is, y'all listen and lean in with me. If you're ruled by fear or desires, and, and, and that's what you see compensation is, listen, the very thing that rules the area of compensation is the very thing that rules your area of generosity. So if you're gripped by fear, then it means you won't be generous. And here's why. It's because you take all the extra cash and you stuff it in your gun safe. It's because you put holes in your wall and you bury um, cans because you don't want anybody to find it. It's because you have a little map back in the backyard and you go, hey, listen, when the government takes everything, they won't take this. And you just continue to bury stuff in the ground. And the reason why is because you're gripped by that. But the, the reason is that if you see money as compensation and you're driven by fear, then guess what? You'll hoard it and hoard it and hoard it and you'll never have enough to give away because when is enough enough? 
And so it just keeps you from being faithful in the area of generosity because you won't open up your hands because your, your, your fists are too tightly clenched because you go, I gotta have a little more because you're hoping that little more will give you the comfort that you're looking for. The problem is the comfort doesn't come. Why? Because an object can't give you comfort. At the same time, there's some of you that you're spending it frivolously. You, like you, you, you spend it faster and it comes in, which is why every single month you feel extended. It's why every single month you struggle to rest at night. It's because every single month you're wondering what I'm going to sell next, including my kids. Because you're like, I, I got to figure out something. But you, the challenge is you keep searching and searching and searching. You're always looking for a new business deal. You're always looking for a new way to make a little bit more money. And listen, friends, I've been there and I'll tell you there's no freedom in it. But the reality is, is that too keeps me from being generous. And here's why. Because as long as I've got a business deal going over there, and as long as I need cash flow, I know there's things that, that crush my cash flow. And one of the things that crushes my cash flow is generosity. Because I don't have enough to pull off the deals that I think I need to pull off. The reality is, is we can be ruled by either way. Make sense? So I don't know what it is that you're ruled by, but do you remember the words, well done, good and faithful servant? Who heard those words? the ones who are stewards. And so here's these three quick principles for you to understand. Number one is the only way you find freedom is to realize that everything you own is on loan. Everything. If you're a steward, it means that nothing you actually own right now is yours. It's the principle that Paul told Timothy. It's the principle that we see in Genesis 3.19 that you came from dust and dust you're going to return. When you understand that, it means that you are free to honor the Lord. Friends, if you and I were staying in a hotel room right now, would you go out and fill the hotel room with all your own belongings? Like, does that make sense to pay for a hotel room and then go and get your own master fridge because the little tiny fridge is too, too little, to go get you a country, uh, a comfy couch because you don't like the little hard thing that you got and the little seat in the corner is not enough. And, and, and would it make sense just to go fill a hotel room with all of your stuff? No, like you would say, that's terrible financial sense. Well, here, can I just tell you real quickly that our life is simply a hotel room? But the problem is, is we spend our entire life either driven by fear or desires and we keep filling it up. And that's a challenge. We've got to stop because we need to realize that everything we own is on loan. And this, my friends, is not our home. And so the question is, is what have you hoarded out of fear? What have you spent frivolously because of your own passions, dreams, and desires? Because here's the deal, as a steward, I don't see anything biblically as a steward that would say that you couldn't spend some. And there's nothing that I would see in scripture that is um, unwise about saving some. The reality is you should save some and the reality is you should spend some. But the key is to invest some and the investment is something that will outlive you. For instance, that's why Paul writes to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 6 and 7. This is what he says. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Here's what he does. The more seeds you scatter, the more the harvest. Make sense? Pretty simple principle. Um, you want a big garden? Throw lots of seeds. Want a small garden? Throw a few seeds. Make sense? That's what he says. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when you scatter seeds. And here's what a farmer does. A farmer does his part. A farmer toils and labors along the ground. He takes seed and he throws it out. And then after he's done that, guess what? He lays his head down and he's no longer fearful and he's no longer desiring his neighbor's field. He just trusts the Lord with what he sowed. And then there's a principle that kicks in. It's called photosynthesis. And he controls none of it. He requires the Lord to bring rain and sun, but the farmer's job is done until the harvest. What if the farmer dies? 
Does anybody get blessed, even the farmer's death? I mean, he sowed seed. Friends, what happens? It keeps growing, doesn't it? Isn't it amazing to realize that the, the harvest that you sow can outlive even your death? That's when you entrust things to the kingdom of God is to realize I'm not making an earthly investment. Friends, I want you to realize that if, if you're saving something, great, but make a plan to use that portfolio, that 401k, everything that you've got in the gun safe, make a plan to, to make sure that the kingdom flourishes. A portion of Kelly and I's will is going to go to the local church and the kingdom of God and the expansion of God even after my death. The reason why is because my kids need to learn what it looks like to work hard. I'm not gonna give it all to them. And so we teach them principles to work hard, to steward resources now. That means save some, spend some, and entrust some to the Lord. And that's what I do with my whole life. It's a contribution to the kingdom of God. But you better believe that portion of my 401k is going to outlive me. Why? Because Jesus gave us the example of what death does when it's like grain that falls to the ground. That's why John says in John chapter 12, verses 23 through 25, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What happens when you scatter seeds? You get an abundance. What happens when you lose your life? It says in verse 25, whoever loses life, loses it, or whoever loves his life, loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What Jesus is going, hey, what happens is if you, if you sow um, sparingly, you reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, guess what? It keeps living and it keeps, it keeps multiplying because that's what grain does when you make a contribution. Friends, who, who's, who's dying to the ground? Blessed us, Jesus. Can we keep giving even our death? Yes, but only when we realize that everything we own is on loan. We brought nothing in, we take nothing out. So why not invest in the kingdom? Number two, our reasons for not being generous always lead to the same place, and that's disobedience. Now listen, you would say, well, hey, I just, I'm, I'm a little fearful. And listen, some of you, your reasons for not being general, generous, uh, it's all wrapped up in fear and it's about keeping some. But one of the reasons that people fear to give to the church too is because you go, I just don't know what they're gonna do with it. And I'm afraid that I'm not gonna be able to see it. It's not gonna be tangible. Listen, it's all rooted in the same thing, which is called a lack of trust. All fear comes from a lack of trust. It's a lack of trust. It's a lack of a person. It doesn't matter. It's all built in a lack of trust. At the same time, your desire, the implication is, is a lack of submission. So oftentimes we, we don't wanna do anything because we don't wanna submit ourselves to anybody's authority. And so whatever it is, it's a lack of submission to God. It's a lack of trust in God. It's a lack of trust in leadership. It doesn't matter, but here's what you need to realize is that it's still disobedience. And so the reasons that you uh, see compensation the way you do are the same reasons that keep you from being generous and all of it doesn't honor our heavenly father. Was he honored by the guy who took his one talent and buried it in the ground? No. And so the deal is, friends, is that you need to realize is that your faith will overcome your fear. It's a faith and a trust in Jesus that overcomes that. And it's a generosity that overcomes your greed. It is when we finally open up our hands and we go, God, you are trustworthy. God, we can trust you. And when you get there, friends, it's a freeing thing. And here's why. When you realize that God is not a killjoy and he's not trying to rip you off, then you can understand the heart of God. And that is the key to all of this, is to understand the heart of your master. And when you cannot see his hands, look to his heart. 
And that's why I give you this last truth. God does not need your money. Never has, never will. He just desires your heart. Jesus fed 4,000. He fed a 5,000 group of people. And listen, he never once required anything because he owned it already. He owns the fishes and the loaves. Genesis chapter 50 tells us that he owns the cattle on the thousand hills. Listen, he owns your cattle. He's just letting you have them for a little while. They're his. Everything's his. And when you see that, it helps you realize that the only reason he's given you these things is so that you can be a faithful steward. But don't be, don't be confused, friends, that, that one day you will stand before the Lord and you will be an account to him, not only for what you've done with Jesus, but what you've also done with the resource and trust you. And you will either hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, or you'll hear something far more difficult. But the question is, is why is he giving you an high income? Why are we a part of the most wealthy people on all the planet as Americans? And here's why Randy Alcorn says it this way, and I think it's right. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. God gives me more money than we need so that we can give generously. He has given you what you need so that you can, sp- that you can sow, not sparingly, but generously into the kingdom of God. And so here's the deal. The only way that happens though, friends, is if you see your life not about compensation, but about a contribution. So I don't know how you see your life. I don't see how you, you know how you see your workplace, but if you see it as compensation, you're gonna struggle. But if you'll see your life, your workplace, everything you have as a contribution to the kingdom of God, then he will begin to move your heart towards freeing you to be generous. Now listen, here's what I want you to understand is that every single one of us desire to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, don't we? Like, that's what I desire. But the question is, is uh, if that's my desire, then is what I'm doing, is it making sense? It does, if God is, is, is looking at our heart, what's it attached to? And Billy Graham said that oftentimes our heart has this little string that leads to our pocketbook. And the challenge is, is what is it that you're giving to? What is it that you're making a contribution towards And does it involve the kingdom of God? And friends, if it doesn't, it should. Why? Because that's what stewards of God's resources do. Now, real quickly, I just, before I close, I long for you to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. What I want you to understand is even though I gave you statistics and even though I gave you a problem, two desires that lead that and shape the problem and three solutions, what I want you to hear more than anything is that if you walk out of here and you feel guilt and you feel shame, that's not from our heavenly father and it's not from me as your leader. Because I, I, I'm not twisting your arm. It's not guilt, it's not compulsion. Right now we're doing fan, fantastic financially. Um, I, I gave you some numbers just a handful of months ago um, in terms of what we have in the bank and it's grown $150,000 just in the last handful of months. It, it's, God's been faithful and he continues to be faithful. And, and listen, the American church still has the problem of the dilemmas that we do, and we still are not generous, and I believe that. But the reality is, is that I'm not telling you that because I need you to change for me. I'm telling you this because I love you, and I want you to identify with the heart of your master. And I want you to be a faithful steward so that one day when you stand before him, you can be accountable in ways that are life-giving and fruitful. Not because I need something from you, because I don't need anything from you. And we don't need anything from you, and God doesn't need anything from you. And so I hope you'll know my heart. And so I just want you to realize this isn't, a, this isn't a scheme or a ploy. This isn't something to cause you to walk out of here and go, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm just frustrated. If you're mad about this, then, then listen, you're missing it all. 
but I do love you. And I think as a faithful steward of God's word, I got to teach on all of it, um, including the things that you and I don't want to talk about. And one of them is oftentimes money for you. I love to talk about money. Um, and you know why I like to talk about money? Because I like to win with money. Um, and and I, like, I like making a difference for the kingdom of God. And I could say I've won with money. Um, and it's because I don't have what a lot of other people have. But I'll tell you this, I also plan to give a whole heck of a lot away when I die. Because I've done the same thing when I live. Why? Because I believe the words of Jesus. And I think you should too, because it's freeing. And that's all I want for you. I want freedom for you, just like I have it. So let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us to honor you and love you and be faithful to you. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would help us to make investments for the kingdom of God, that there are people in countries across this world, there are 3.2 billion people right now who have never heard the name of Jesus and local churches aren't giving to that cause and we are going to. There are thousands upon thousands of people across the world that need to know more about you and there are ways for us to help them to hear the name of Jesus and to respond to the name of Jesus. And Lord, I know that even we don't always get to see where our money goes and how it's used, but Lord, I pray that you would help us just to trust you Help us to trust you with things that we can't see and, and things that we don't know. And really, isn't that all about the Christian life is about? To walk by faith, not by sight. Lord, would you help us to be obedient to you? And Lord, would you help us to be moved by you and your spirit to do what your spirit encourages us to do? And so, Lord, if we feel the weight of conviction, I pray we don't confuse that with guilt and shame. I pray, Lord, that we would respond and we would trust you and we'd be faithful to you. We love you. We thank you for the church. We thank you for the chance to gather in freedom. We thank you, Lord, for a chance to sing and to celebrate. And I pray, Lord, that even as we close with this song, Lord, that if there are walls that we have built up towards you, if there are bank accounts that we won't let you have, Lord, I pray that you would do whatever you need to do to ruin our lives for the sake of your gain. God, here we are. Would you use us and would you have all of us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.